electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate. Put these days in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How can the stock market not crash when it looks like World War III out there? After a brutal and just ugly morning, the averages came roaring back. Dow finishing up 92 points. S&P jumping 1.5%. NASDAQ pole vaulting 3.34%. It was a stunning reversal from a market that was down gigantically at the opening. It caused many to question how it was possible with Ukraine in flames from just horrendous Russian aggression that anyone would want to buy, not sell stocks. Sadly, it's easy in retrospect to see why, because we've had ages to figure out that Russia would invade Ukraine. Our government has been warning us about this, I don't know, on a daily basis for many weeks. Uh, It's one of the reasons why we sold off so hard in the last few weeks. There's no surprise here, except we still can't be sure how the war's going. Maybe the market rallied because Wall Street's betting on a quick capitulation by the Ukrainian government. It's hard to imagine how they can win without more support from the West. I don't think they're going to get it. The buyers don't seem to be putting too much weight on President Biden's sanctions either. Sure, back in 1997, when Russia had a currency crisis and a serious debt problem, you could knock that country over with a feather. Now, though, Russia's solvent and oil rich, even if their stock market took a hit today and not a lot of people involved in their stock market. As dangerous as Putin is, he's not dumb enough to go to war empty handed. That's terrible for Ukraine and Ukrainian people. But Wall Street doesn't care about the outcome as much as it wants the current crisis to be over as soon as possible. Of course, the buyers could be wrong. If our government decides to do a rapid supply of millions of, I'd say, of munitions that can fight mechanized troops, well, that's not factored in. Massive partisan resistance, not factored in. A Russian army that's weaker than we expected, not factored in. But at the moment, buyers are betting that all of those are long shots. The next level of seeming danger that we seem to just, I don't know, whistle past? How about that? Recession. Yes, we have to worry about a recession. That's because if the Fed is going to kill inflation now or kin, the only thing it can do is raise interest rates aggressively, which will crush the economy. 
Again, though, if that's really the case, you'd expect to see the typical recession-proof stocks were roaring here. The consumer staples and the drugs, yet many of them actually went lower. They were the worst group today. What's going higher? The home builders. The home builders of all groups, along with the Nasdaq stocks that have been crushed again. Okay, uh, it's all counterintuitive. But when you consider that because of a flight to quality, long-term interest rates dropped right after mortgage applications had fallen dramatically, I can see why someone would want to buy Lenar or Toll, especially if the Fed decides to tighten less aggressively, just in case the Ukraine situation causes a slowdown. Meanwhile, that same decline in long rates caused the banks to get clocked. I think it's a total overreaction. Bought some for the Chapel Trust. So uh, I think some of the concerns about the banks being hit by retaliatory cyber attacks, while they can't be overlooked, may be an overreaction, too. As for the Nasdaq stocks, I'm betting that's just a short covering rally, with the exception of the cybersecurity stocks that should make out like bandits as Russia creates endless demand for their products. More on that later when we hear from CrowdStrike. But let's go deeper for a moment. We can't yet forecast how bloody Ukraine will be. Although we do know that the Russian army is capable of taking on pretty much any conventional army in the region, thanks to Putin's massive military buildup over the last few years. This is no longer a poor man's Soviet Union. We're not looking at another Afghanistan where the Soviets suffered a major defeat in the 80s. Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires. Ukraine, playground of empires. I think this war is also much more like Hungary in 56. What about the war against inflation, though? Even if J-PAL does try to kill inflation now by sending us into a recession, it's possible that this will be a non-traditional recession. This is a new concept that I want to introduce to you tonight. Non-traditional recession. In normal recession, the big winners are the safety stocks, Procter & Gamble, Clorox, J&J, PepsiCo. Don't even look at where those stocks were. Wow, they were pummeled. Remember, we're always trying to figure out the permutations using inputs from the market, not necessarily accepting its judgment. So what happens if Powell sends us into a different kind of recession than the one I'm envisioning? The thing is, we'd be going into recession with the strongest consumer in history. Her balance sheet's never been better. Her pent-up demand for goods is only exceeded by her desire to go out to restaurants and to travel. This is what we're hearing from almost all the major banks and credit card companies, and they know the data. Second, in a normal recession, companies lay off their workers, preserving what's left of their profits while weakening the consumer and the worker. That probably won't happen this time because we've got a huge labor shortage. Businesses can't afford to fire people. Sure, if prices keep going up and we get double-digit inflation, then consumers may pull in their horns. But then again, we're only game this scenario because we expect Powell to win the war against inflation. Third, we know from Toll Brothers, which just reported that demand for homes remains incredibly strong. And because the consumers flush, mortgage rates would have to go up to north of 5% before demand tapers off. Not pie in the sky. People with means, Toll Brothers Bills, luxury homes, have more than enough money to buy houses at much higher rates. And given that they have their choice of jobs, well, it may not matter. Finally, if Powell can slow the economy down just enough, then the supply chain problems can actually be solved. As they're largely a function of strong demand from all sorts of places that we didn't have before, at a time when there are too many sick people and individual semiconductor parts aren't available. Those are those important problems. Those are it. Plants will come back online when everybody gets healthy. There will be time for new factories to create. We get to build actual new semiconductor plants. We'll figure out how to handle freight. Pay for new truck drivers will increase, attracting enough of them to make a difference. This stuff will happen naturally. It merely takes time. If the Fed wants to tamp down on inflation, it only has to slow the economy just a smidge to let the businesses catch their breath. Now, you may think this is all too rosy. But the idea that this could be the same old kind of recession with a crash in corporate profits, lots of bankruptcies, massive layoffs, just doesn't add up to me. We have way too many jobs and too few people looking for them. That's the opposite of a typical recession where unemployment spikes and there's not enough work to go around. Maybe we'll have the world's first unemployment recession. 
I think these themes need to be plumbed now that the Russian invasion has begun and inflation continues to roar, as represented by rising oil prices. I don't believe that this war will cause the kind of economic slowdown that Jay Powell wants to see, the kind that, uh, of cause that could put stop to inflation and protect your purchasing powers. Look, I can give him I can give it out a total another way. I could play it like most commentators I have heard all day and yesterday. Just sell everything. It's the end of the world. Go hide your head in your cubby, as little Jimmy Not-So-Chill Kramer was told to do in October of 62 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Somehow the cubby was supposed to protect my head from a nuclear missile. Now, that's craftsmanship. I guess my Levi's khakis were to protect my rear half from radiation. But the bottom line, if Jimmy's not playing it that way, I'll leave that to everyone else. Now that the big bad event has finally arrived, I want to be more opportunistic. Let's speak to Mark in South Carolina. Mark. Big old South Carolina booyah to you, Jim. Best kind. What's up? So I uh, picked up some 3M at what I thought was a good price, and the next day they announced they lost their first earplug case. That's a big liability. Morgan Stanley says $14 billion maybe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what do you think? I'm worried. I'm worried they got that PFAS bad water situation. I'm very worried about it. I happen to have tinnitus, and which is the disease that's causing all the problems for the soldiers. And uh, I think it's a painful and obviously very difficult to, not, to get rid of disease. And I think it's going to cause 3M continual problems. Let's go to Rich in California, please. Rich. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good. I'm watching things like Etsy trade up after the close, and I'm happy. What's going on? I know you're a big fan of Estee Lauder and their CEO. Yes. And I'm wondering what you think about them now as they dropped under 300 and with the issues in Russia and the Ukraine. All right. This is just a fantastic question. Now, I go over Estee Lauder just this morning with my partner, Jeff Marks. You can watch in our 1020 morning meeting call. And I was saying, you know what, down here, maybe we should be pulling the trigger, Estee Lauder. We sold it 360. It's all the way back to 290. Fabrizio Fred had reported a great quarter. I say, buy it. I say, buy it. Let's go to Chuck in my home state of Pennsylvania. Chuck. Hey, Jim. First time caller, long time listener. Excellent. You've been an advocate of staying away from higher P.E. Uh, stocks in 2022. You betcha. I want to get your opinion on a stock that I think is a, is a quality technology stock that has high growth, but does trade at a 35 P.E. It's down 38% from the uh, 52-week high, and it's rallied today by 8%. I have a position in this. I took a position in this when the stock was down about 20% from its high. Okay. So I'm like water. I'd like to know, is this a good time to buy, uh, to add uh, average costs in the stock Adobe? You know, Adobe and ServiceNow are two very controversial stocks because people fear that they're not going to deliver going forward. ServiceNow, I am very capable of thinking that they will. I feel confident. I'm not as confident with Adobe because people didn't like the last quarter. But, man, this stock has been crushed. So I'm not against buying some now, just betting that, you know what? It's such a good long-term investment. You're not going to fret the short-term. But you praised all, actually all of our callers. Very considered in a time when people are being way too nervous. 
the Russian invasion. Yes, it's begun. Inflation will continue to roar. I don't think the war will cause the type of economic slowdown that would put a stop to inflation and make that worry go away. But I do think it's time to be opportunistic. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Revolve Group reported last night at the Bell. I'm digging into the numbers on an incredibly hot online fashion retailer to see what the future could hold. Then cybersecurity is in focus as the Russian invasion on Ukraine unfolds. And I'm learning more about the cyber implications of the conflict with the head of CrowdStrike. And, hey, here's a growth stock for you, America wants your power. It hopes to have a powerful 2022 after raising its four-year guidance this very morning. I'm breaking down the latest in the utility space with the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We know this. The last few months have been horrific for all sorts of new age apparel companies, especially the ones that have gone public in the last yeah, a couple of years. But there's at least one that managed to rebound hard off its lowest levels. And I hesitate to call it new age. And this is during a period when the Porter Group was getting pummeled. 
I'm talking about an established, fantastic online company called Revolve Group. That is an apparel retailer that's more or less a smarter digital department store aimed at younger consumers, but also moving up in age. I don't want to put it just pigeonholed as, as Gen X, a lot of millennials. Roughly a month ago, I highlighted this one because I thought it had come down too much for a stock with actual earnings. Since then, it's rebounded nicely. Though it pulled back a little bit and then passed half a week and a half. Now, last night, Revolve reported a strong top and bottom line beat. With what I thought was an encouraging full-year forecast. Stock was up slightly, although I'm a little surprised it didn't really rally harder on a day when so many of its peers were up 5% or more, despite the absence of good news. We got to dig in that, though. I think, look, I think it can actually start climbing again. Why? Because it had such good earnings. Do not check. Do not take it from me. Let's check it with Revolve Group's co-founders and co-CEOs. That's Mike Karen Nicholas and Michael Mente. Now, gentlemen, you guys have done unbelievable numbers, and I'm going to go right to Mr. Nicholas. I saw a number last night with 70% growth. I've not seen anyone anyone else pull off that growth. How is that possible? Yeah, we think it just speaks to the incredible momentum we have with our brand and, and with our platform, the offering to consumers. And it's been building. What's really exciting is it's accelerated quarter after quarter. And we've seen really all of our metrics at or near uh, all-time highs. Well, look, I've got to tell you, Mr. Mente, I want to come to you. Uh, I have decided, after speaking with multiple people since I saw you guys last, that your model is incredible. You invite to the Super Bowl. People, Kendall Jenner, Haley Bieber, uh, Khloe Kardashian, Heidi Klum, Leonardo DiCaprio, Lil Wayne, they, then they, read, they love what you do. They wear your clothes. And then everyone has Instagram. And then it is a, basically a free advertising model. I mean, this thing has got to be paying off in spades in this year. You know, a thousand percent. This is kind of one of the, uh, the secret weapons in our arsenal, you know, that Super Bowl event, you know, New York Fashion Week. And uh, upcoming in this year, as the world opens up more, we have one of our flagship events, you know, Revolve Festival coming back after a two year hiatus. You should definitely come and join us. And uh, we're back at full strength as our customers really ready to go out again. I think that, you know, after a long period of, you know, a slow reopening, you know, you know our customers roaring, our customers on fire and uh, we're pumping in all cylinders and we're here for it. Many of the companies, Michael, that are in your business have reported that they are seeing margin compression and they gave bad uh, margin forecasts. You had a remarkable margin. And for the last seven weeks, you're saying things are good. This is just getting better for Evolve right now. That is very true. And I think, you know, we have to give it up to our team who's just executing and continues to get better and better. There's just so many, you know, beneath the covers, there's so many incredible projects that are going extremely well. You know, we, Mike and I couldn't be more thrilled about, you know, the team's ability to execute in this challenging environment. I think all these challenges, you know, really, you know, show who really, you know, who can deliver and who's, uh, who's the house of cards out there. Mike, I think that uh, I've just went over the Instagram part, so to speak. But the technology here is extraordinary, whether it be the technology to get it and come back, return it even if you want to, if it doesn't work, and get it back in time for the wedding on Sunday, or the technology of knowing what for people want to see. How did you become so skilled in what I think is one of the most, well, two, counting forward, two compelling sites. And I'm, look, I'm a guy, but I see what's going on. This is fabulous stuff. How did you learn to figure out what people are thinking? 
Yeah, I think it goes back to our background when we founded the company nearly 20 years ago. We didn't have a retail background. We didn't have a fashion background. We had a business background and a technology background. And so that's how we sought to understand uh, fashion from day one. That's how we sought to manage inventory. And with each passing year, we continue to invest in our systems. We get better and better. So much of what we do is automated. The decisions are faster. They're better than traditional retail. And we think it's a big reason why we're out competing the competition. Well, I want to drill down on that, Mike. Uh, you know that a lot of people felt that e-commerce slowed in the fourth quarter. I'm wondering whether there were e-commerce companies that truly just did better in a pandemic, and there are e-commerce companies that are really shining now that we're coming out of pandemic, got a lot of big events coming, that your time is was great in the pandemic, but even better out of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, you, know, you know, we think what's... Uh, incredible about what we've seen is uh, we have the ability to thrive and, and execute well in times of disruption. But then this actually hasn't even been really the best time for us because our brand is about living your best life. It's about having fun. It's about getting out, traveling, socializing, partying. And we haven't really seen those times yet. And, and so we're really encouraged by what we've seen in, in, in the first quarter. Uh, and, and we think uh, in Q2 and the rest of the year that people are going to be getting out even more and more. So we think that that should be uh, mean great things for our brand. All right. So, Michael, uh, I read through the A-listers. I'm not an A-lister, but like I recognize A-lister names. I mean, how will they, we know that the A-listers will always come? Will they come to your next event in April? Will they come? I mean, how do we know? How do we know that you can keep the A-listers happy? I think ultimately, you're looking at the brand and the landscape out there. You know, we are fresh, we're new. We have, you know, of course, that you know fundamental business structure which drives the business. But comparing to you know where a lot of this business was in times past, these are brands in the, of you know previous generations. These are brands that you know our parents would shop. So you know, we are, you know, what we're trying to build is you know this iconic fashion brand for this generation. And it seems to be that we're doing that quite well. But also, there's a long way to go. Job's not done yet. All right. So, Mike, last question. Uh, to me, your model works great. Maybe even better international. Do you have the tech skills to make it happen? Absolutely. And it's a huge opportunity for us. Our brand resonates incredibly strong internationally. And so for us, it's just a matter of getting the service levels up internationally to match the, the really best in class service levels that we have in the U.S. We've made great strides. Canada, for example, we made some key investments last year. It's been consistently growing in the triple digits ever since then. And so it's just a matter of continuing to work, uh, roll that out worldwide. All right. Well, gentlemen, I got to tell you, I mean, if it weren't such a difficult market for high growth, I would say that this is the only e-commerce play that actually did not disappoint this fourth quarter. So I want to congratulate both of you for really putting together an unbelievable flywheel with fantastic uh, people doing your bidding for you. And then everybody else saying, wow, I got to get that stuff, too. I'm going to thank Mike Karen Nicholas and Michael Mente for coming on. Uh, these guys are co-founders and CEOs of an unbelievably hot stock, Revolve, that can get can reignite now that Nasdaq's going higher. And money's back into the break. Coming up, as geopolitical tension erupts into outright conflict, what shape will the battle lines take on the cyber warfare front? Kramer measures the risk with CrowdStrike. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let me also repeat the warning I made last week. If Russia pursues cyber attacks against our companies, our critical infrastructure, we are prepared to respond. That one comment from President Biden sent the cybersecurity stocks into the stratosphere. Because while we're not directly involved in the war in Ukraine, there's no avoiding a cyber war against Russia's attackers. They're everywhere. We always see more cyber intrusions after our government rolls out new sanctions. I bet this time will be no different. Wall Street seems to agree. Just look at CrowdStrike, the cloud-native cybersecurity play with a stock that jumped 13%. Today, after selling off hard over the past three months, thanks to the growth stock slaughter, even though CrowdStrike is in its quiet period right now, we're not going to talk about the numbers. We invited them on the show because we need to know what American companies can do to plan for a scenario like the one the president just announced today. Looks, well, you know what? We got to talk to George Kurtz. He's been a reliable figure about this whole thing. He's the co-founder and CEO of CrowdStrike and also, I think, someone who understands this space better than anyone. Mr. Kurtz, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for being here, Jim. And uh, I wish it was under better circumstances. Obviously, there's a great human toll taking place, but uh, I'm happy to talk to you about cybersecurity. Thank you so much, George. Now, you heard the president's warning. First, are we prepared? And second, I'm not used to hearing us playing offense. Are we? Well, you have to look at both countries. Uh, The United States and Russia have great cyber capabilities. And in any modern war, cyber is a critical element, air, sea, land, and cyber. And uh, we have to be ready. Unfortunately, you know, 85% of the infrastructure is is owned by private companies. And uh, when we think about that critical infrastructure, it isn't always up to uh, the level we would like from a cybersecurity perspective. We've seen that with some of the pipelines. So we have to be vigilant and we have to be ready for these attacks. George, there was a concentrated selling of the bank stocks. And from what I can tell, It was not the fact that interest rates went down, which is bad for their earnings, but it was because people feel they're the most logically targeted after we've targeted five Russian banks. Are the banks ready? I'm not going to single out any particular one, but do you think the banks are spending enough? The banks, from a sector perspective, have done a great job. There's a lot of regulation around what they do. Thankfully, they have the money to actually put in a mature security technology like CrowdStrike. We protect 14 of the top 20 banks out there. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not just one company. It's not CrowdStrike. It's a holistic view of people, process, and technology. And I can tell you, I've talked to a lot of banks recently, a lot of senior executives, uh, and they're concerned. They're very concerned about what might happen here. And, and they should be, because when you think about uh, some of the collateral damage that might take place from these, we call them wiper uh, viruses, which are designed to basically wipe a system, um, when we think about cyber it has no boundaries for collateral damage. You know, a a missile has a fixed area of of, uh, destruction in cyber. We saw it in 2017 with NotPetya. It basically ran loose and caused $10 billion worth of damage. Well, 
Can you tell us what happened to the previous Russian cyber attacks on Ukraine? Because apparently they were very proficient and very good at what they did. Well, when you look at Russia, they certainly have uh, phenomenal cyber capabilities and various uh, groups within their government. And in 2017, this was what I was referring to, a, an attack called NotPetya took place in Ukraine, and it was designed to, to focus on the Ukraine. Uh, but unfortunately, it's almost like biological warfare. When, when this sort of malware gets released, you don't realize how many connections there actually are. And we saw a lot of companies in the U.S. that were actually connected to this this payroll or tax software that was being used in the Ukraine, and it spread through the network very quickly. And that's what I was saying. There is no boundary in cyber. And the unintended consequences that many organizations, government, critical infrastructure, and others can be taken out from a a specific attack by Russia against Ukraine. That's one piece. The second piece piece is then obviously we're worried about attacks against the U.S. Now, I mean, did we learn anything from Colonial Pipeline? Did uh, people call you up and say, listen, I can't have that happen here? I think there's a lot of companies when they look at these destructive attacks and ransomware that have called us up and they realize that it's one or two of the top board risks that are out there is a cyber attack. Uh, I'm, again, talking to CEOs and boards all the time, and this is their top concern because it's not just one computer that could be affected. It literally can take out an entire organization. And we've been called in to do responses for non-customers that got hit with this. And literally, you can't badge in, you can't use video conferencing, and it's like a wasteland because nothing will turn on. And that's the power of these destructive wiper attacks that we really need to be concerned with. Would it have been better if the president, instead of saying, listen, we're not going to do any commerce with these large Russian banks, if we had hit them with a DDoS attack? Well, you have to look at DDoSs, and maybe we can define that for the audience. That really is overwhelming these websites uh, so that you can't get access to them, like banking websites. And while the government has a lot of capabilities, um, I'll let them figure out what they want to use. At the end of the day, we do a DDoS attack. Somebody does it back to us. Uh, it, it gets into this escalation. And that's really what we have to worry about. Part of the challenge in cyber is there really aren't norms. Um, I think a lot of the norms have been violated here in conventional warfare, but there are no norms in cyber. So what happens with this escalation is really going to be interesting. Now, should individuals be worried? I mean, should they be checking their their cash balance? I mean, is it possible that someone could be stealing money from their bank account? And maybe if you catch it first, you can be able to get get your bank account uh, back up? Well, that's always the case when we look at e-crime and how prevalent it is and how much money they're making. You have to be checking your account. You've got to be making sure that you use two-factor authentication on your banking websites and and authenticating uh, with your phone and things of that nature. Uh, But I think what's important here, and and Jim, this is not really talked about a lot, is the the, the psyops, the psychological operations when we think about social media and how that can be manipulated uh, for the outcome, you know, an outcome uh, specific to what Russia wants. And whether it's Ukraine, whether it's U.S., um, this is a big part now of, of cyber security. It's not just the breaking in or defacing a website or a DDoS, but it's actually kind of manipulating the social aspect of what's out there and, uh, and creating division. And I think this psychological operation is a, is a key element we also have to focus on. Oh, can't it's, it. it's so creative. It's incredible. Let me speak about something prosaic. Uh, turning the lights on. Uh, how good is the electric grid? They seem to be, uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, worried about getting carbon neutral, but they, I don't ever hear about that they're worried about cyber attacks. 
Well, I, you know, I think it depends on the state you're in. Some, some states have a harder challenge just meeting the, the energy demand than, than others. Um, but the challenge that you have in a lot of these uh, institutions, if you will, is that they use a lot of older technology. Uh, it's up and running, and it's been running for 20 years, so nobody wants to mess with it. Now, there, there's some standards around that, but it's really hard to upgrade these systems, and it's one of those, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And that's part of right. the challenge that you see. Yeah, George, I don't know. I mean, this is just a tough time. And you're absolutely right the way you began. I mean, you know, we just hope that this stuff doesn't happen here, but it's the human life toll that matters. But the stuff that you talk about, particularly the psyops, that can lead to some very uh, negative things, particularly for teens, younger people. You know that. Yeah, and if you can control text messaging, if you can uh, cause angst into what's happening uh, in the environment, it's, you know, it takes a, a psychological toll, particularly from a mental health perspective on on young people yeah not talked about enough and i'm glad you brought it up because we should be much more worried about it i want to thank george kurtz for coming on very short notice i really appreciate it george runs crown strike he's co-founder and ceo and it's always good to have you on the show sir thank you thank you well look it's hard to feel confident right but at least we're doing something it isn't like you wake up and say you know what? we got them beat we do i have to tell you the russians are just extraordinarily devious there's no doubt about it man money's back at the play. Look, even though the market rebounded like crazy off its lows today, there's no doubt that we're in an unsettled, uncertain, and unpredictable moment. At times like this, it's a good idea to uh, camp out in some safe, predictable stocks, ones that have no exposure to the war in Ukraine or the supply chain crisis, the Federal Reserve's upcoming rate hikes, stocks like utilities. Take Kramer Fave American Electric Power, which has the largest power transmission system in the country, also some major power generation assets, including lots of renewables. During this period of turmoil that started in late November, AP stock is actually up a few percent. That's not supposed to happen when the Fed raises starts raising rates. Look, this morning, the company reported an excellent quarter, a five cent earnings beat off a 93 cent basis with better than expected sales. Even better, management raised their full year earnings forecast. That's why the stock tacked on another two percent plus today. I wouldn't be surprised if it's got more room to run because this is a good moment for safety names. So let's dig deep with Nick Akins. He's the chairman and CEO of American Electric Power to learn more about the quarter and where the company said. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Made Money. Hi, Jim. Great to be with you again. All right, so Nick, I'm going to ask point blank. How can a utility report a better than expected quarter? Well, certainly we're seeing a rebound of the economy. And secondly, we're seeing the ability to invest in not only movement to a clean energy economy, uh, but also in terms of infrastructure, of really uh, definite focus on infrastructure in this country. But you are spending a fortune in order to be able to get uh carbon neutral as soon as you can, 2030. I mean, do you have the kind of money that's needed to be able to get there? Well, certainly our position is we'll be net zero by 2050, and that's really where most of the industry is at this point. When you methodically look at the transition that can be made, we're moving as quickly as possible, and we're looking at 80% by, by 2030 and net zero by 2050. Obviously, if we can move much more quickly, we'll do that, but you have to be mindful about the resiliency and reliability of the grid and certainly the ability to address any system needs, particularly when you have peak demands during the cold of winter or the heat of summer. So that's really uh, something we have to pay particular attention to. What happens if we uh, got a government that said, you know what, we got to be like Norway. Uh, we're going uh, EV. Could American Electric Power handle a surge if everybody decided, you know what, we're going EV? 
I think we can. I think it really the focus is on the system itself. We've already started looking at uh, corridors, interstate corridors, and certainly the Biden administration continues to address that as well. I think it's a real opportunity for us to make sure we address the infrastructure that's in place, particularly distribution infrastructure, to enable the connection for fast DC chargers and enable that uh, opportunity to exist. And obviously the number of models are, are coming out, uh, and there's a plethora of models out there now, and it really provides an opportunity for us to make sure the infrastructure is there. I think that I like to use your numbers to talk about how much the pandemic really did hurt. Normalized residential sales were down 1.9% compared to the fourth quarter of 2020. So in other words, when people were just sitting around at home, they were burning a lot of electricity. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. You look at the load before the, pande- before the pandemic uh, versus now. It's, it's practically even, but the mix is very different. The, although the residential is down from the previous year of reference, if you look at pre-pandemic levels, it's above that level. So it says that the work-from-home environment is continuing, and then also the economy continues to improve, particularly in our territory. Uh, matter of fact, commercial is up uh, 4.3%, which that means more of the data center activity associated with that. And on the industrial, you're seeing additional opportunities coming across the board from Intel, which was in our territory, the announcement there, um, along with others that are continuing to improve that. 3.7% increase. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I mean, that's just high growth. Like, there's no way it's a high growth utility. Now, you kind of put me in this uh, uh, the this incredible 16,000 megawatts you're adding, but a key milestone in the efforts of the completion of Traverse, the largest single wind farm ever built in North America. How much? How many homes can that power? There's about 998 megawatts of, of generation there, and that's a lot for uh, a wind power project. It's about to go operational in the next couple of weeks, and, and certainly we're very proud to do it. It'll save customers in the uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma areas of the country uh, over $3 billion. So $2.2 billion to build, uh, three, over $3 billion of savings. Wow. Okay, so can you use some of that savings to be able to be sure that if Russia attacked your grid, you'd be in good shape? Uh, there's no question that we've been in a heightened sense of security around the resiliency, particularly cyber and physical security. This industry has been uh, obviously working with our government partners for a long time now, and we're ready. If you were in uh, Germany and you saw what the politicians wanted to do, would you have come forward as a utility operator and say, you know what, guys? It's not that sunny in Germany, and it isn't always windy. We may have to keep a, a base load here that will make it so that we the lights always go on. Did anyone say yeah. that? Yeah, I think, I think it's a challenge there because uh, they, they certainly stopped doing nuclear uh, uh, years ago, and that left either coal or natural gas. And natural gas, obviously, they were moving down on coal, so, so it turned out to be they were more dependent upon natural gas, hence you have the Russian involvement there. So I think it's really important for us to, as a, as a country in the U.S., to focus on making sure all these resources are available and then uh, hopefully address the geopolitical consequences of that as well. Everybody's so down about our country. I hear it constantly. But do we not have the most unbelievably great natural resources of any major country? We absolutely do. And that's really an opportunity for us to make this clean energy transformation with even new technologies, whether it's small modular reactors for nuclear or hydrogen or other opportunities to give us a broad suite of assets uh, that are available that makes the system more secure. 
Do you think people are so bent on uh, getting us off carbon that they forget that you need a balance until we can make it so that we don't have to worry about the lights? Well, I think I think certainly the issues going on today uh, in, in Russia and Ukraine is a sober reminder uh, that we need to be careful about how we move forward from a progression standpoint. We'll move very quickly, but at the same time, we need to make sure we maintain these resources as more insurance purposes to make sure they can run to meet demand and provide additional flexibility and reliability to the grid. Okay, well, listen, in terms of flexibility and reliability to the grid, will, there be a, uh, will you convene or some of your executives convene around the country to take a look at what Russia might be doing in Ukraine and how it doesn't happen here? Yeah, certainly. We, Russia was in the Ukraine earlier with cyber activities, as everyone knows, from years ago. And, and it really raises the, the, the heightened sense of security around anything Russian associated with cyber, but also uh, make sure that we understand how quickly we can move to this clean energy economy and ensure that we maintain that resilience and reliability. And in fact, the U.S. economy is even more uh, dependent upon electrification, with, whether it's electric vehicles, whether it's uh, certainly everything else that we do that, that depends on electronics. So we need to make absolutely sure that that fundamental mechanism in place to ensure security of the U.S. All right. Well, Nick, you always uh, look, I, I'm going to say make you feel good. You're, you make you confident. How about that? A little more confident. And certainly the company has just been, you know, it's, it's the largest transmitter. It's the best there is. So thank you so much. Once again, every quarter, always. And it's just been consistent, consistent, consistent. Nick Akins, Chairman, President, and CEO of AEP. Love you. Love thank it when you, you come on the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Mad Money's back here for quick. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that time. The lightning round comes with Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, I got a stock that last February 14th, there was some very unusual insider buying. Normally, when insiders buy, they'll use a Form 4. Mm-hmm. But these six insiders... The buying was so robust, they used Form 13 and purchased 62 million shares. Highly unusual. So so I was just kind of curious, what do you think might be going on here at Switch, ticker SWCH? You know, that data center red hot. I mean, you can understand. They probably feel like, let's take matters in our own hands and buy the stock. I think it's a very inexpensive stock. It's the kind of stock that can work. I thank you to bring it to my attention. Anthony Michigan, Anthony. Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am good. Thank you for asking. How about you? No, quite well. Thank you for Excellent. everything that you've done for us, small investors. Okay. Um, could you tell me what your thoughts are about uh, Fisker Capital Corp uh, symbol FSK? Uh, you know, it's a blank. It's a company. I don't know what they own. I mean, they obviously yield a lot, but that always makes me suspicious, not comfortable. I don't think I'm going to open what they've got, and I can't tell, so I'm going to say no. I need to go to Steve in Kansas. Steve. Hey, Jim. Booyah from Booyah. the Investing Club member in Kansas City. Thank you. Glad you take my call. You bet. I have a question on commodity stock whose dividend looks almost too good to be true. I wanted your thoughts on the PHP group. The dividend is very, rather large, given the fact that, uh, you know what, uh, 
the rest of the cohort is much lower. But I like BHP very much. I think it's a good idea. I got it. Honestly, I think those things are going higher, not lower. Let's go to Dean in Ohio. Dean. Welcome back, Jim. We missed you. Oh, thank you, Dean. Appreciate it. He's been in the Olympics. New member of the Investment Club, Mike. Stock is Lindy. I think it's time to start buying on the way down. I was upset correct? that Lindy was down so much. You know, let's understand each other. They actually are a beneficiary of some of the problems in uh, in Europe. I mean, people think that, wow, what a second, they're going to be crushed. The company had an unbelievable quarter. The business is incredibly strong. Industrial gases are a great business. Why the hell this stock is now down so much? I agree with you. I think it's a buy. Good call. And thank you for joining the club. We'll mention it tomorrow at the 1020 meeting that you called. Let's go to Al in Pennsylvania. Al. Hey, Jim. Hello from Philly. Uh, Autodesk, buy or wait? I think it's wait. I think it's wait. We need to see a better quarter. That last quarter disappointed me. I felt like, wow, is that all you can do? Let's wait. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Back in November, I started warning you to abandon the conceptual stocks, embrace companies that make real things or provide real services and sell them for profit, especially if they return those profits to shareholders via dividends and buybacks. That's been the CNBC Investing Club and Mad Money party line ever since, because I feared that too many new investors would get blown out by the gathering storm of higher interest rates. Historically, when the Fed starts tightening, the conceptual stocks, the ones with no earnings that trade at ridiculously high prices, sales bubbles, they get thrown into the meat grinder. That goes double for the meme stocks. Notice I said stocks, not companies. The companies can continue to exist, but the method of picking stocks by ignoring the underlying business and simply focusing on how you can crush the short sellers? That method was doomed the moment the Fed started talking tough about inflation. When the meme stock buyers were only shooting against short sellers, they could still win because the shorts have limited firepower. But the game was over the moment big institutions started to sell in order to get out while the getting was good. These guys were thrilled to sell GameStop at 250 or AMC in the 40s because there was no justification for these valuations. The meme buyers were simply giving them a gift. GameStop stock, okay, yeah, up nine bucks today, great. But it's still down more than 50% from its November highs. AMC stock has fallen from 43 to 17 since then. And when I made that call in November, pushing it hard at our first investing club conference call, I intimated that we'd reached the end of the period where you could simply buy a stock because you heard of the brand and then expect to make money. I know people who bought Rent the Runway because they'd rented the runway and liked it. They snapped up Teladoc because they telephoned a doctor over the smartphone. Zoom chats began Zoom buyers. Lemonade insurance buyers led to lemonade share buyers. Stitch fix, stitch shares, over and over. And that game is definitely over. Now, I've never been a kind of this uh, form of investing, if you can call it that. And every time I say this stuff, it draws the ire of the incredibly popular Reddit crowd who come at me with endless ad hominem attacks, including some downright evil drawings that frankly look like cartoons out of Der Sturmer. That's Nazi Germany's number one tablet. But around the time Robinhood collapsed from $70, where it peaked about a week after its IPO, when I told you to take some off the table to $11 and change now, these boopers began to vanish, taking what's left of their capital with them. And that's one of the reasons why I now think of these stocks that they own as orphans of the storm. Most of these people never understood what they were really buying when they picked up something like DraftKings in the 50s because they liked the app or Allbirds so much higher when it came out because, boy, they're comfortable. They didn't know about levels. They just knew they liked the company. They thought that was enough. It's never enough. The great Peter Lynch from Fidelity fame, one of the smartest investors of our time, always talked about how a product that you like is a good place to start. 
to start the process of finding the stock. Not a good place to finish. But since it was more of a concept buy, many of these meme chasers didn't care about price or balance sheets or anything financial. To be fair, there are some high-profile professional money managers who don't seem to care about that stuff either, like Kathy Wood. But that's why her ETS have racked up huge losses lately. Yes, up today. Hey, amen. Unlike her, the meme chasers don't have a seemingly unlimited source of capital. Now, these people are being blown out, but it's not because they're idiots. It's no. It's because they're novices, novices who yet to learn how the market really works. That includes what happens to growth stocks when we get hit with raging inflation like we have now. I was hoping to save some of these memesters. I don't know why. I just thought it was good, but they didn't want to hear it. When their stocks were much higher, they took it as an attack on them when I told them to sell. On them. Like I was trying to hurt them or something. I just wanted to take profits when I still had them. It's still not too late to sell the conceptual stocks, especially if there's so many of them bounce today, probably bounce tomorrow morning. Unfortunately, it feels like we're in a 2001 moment, though, where people go into denial and stop looking at the stock market altogether, perhaps trying to rationalize their head in the sand behavior by telling themselves that their stocks will come back over the five-year period of the long haul. They're probably, uh, they probably took the remaining capital and bought some of the conceptual stocks today, average down, rather than the tangible ones that make stuff and sell at a profit. I say with the scope of the losses I'm seeing, many of these recently public companies will have to raise more money, even down here, just to stay in business, which means their stocks could go still lower. Yep, sad truth. But these younger investors are being torpedoed left and right. They need to change their style quickly, if it is a style, before their losses become so large that it drives them out of the game forever. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. Promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.